Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The tournament is in full swing and the action hasn't disappointed. Not even a little bit. My favorite part is the Pac-12 conference going out there and representing after pretty much everyone assumed that the conference where my school is from, out in Berkeley, would not do well. But shout out to the Pac-12. But here's what I got for you. Talking about DraftKings Sportsbook. America's top-rated sportsbook app is putting new customers in the center of the action. You bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. That simple. Turning $1 into $100 is 100 to 1 odds. Pick any college basketball team that's still on the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning their next game. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So here's what you got to do. Download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100. If the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win, that's code TBPN to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only for that. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Deadline Podcast, everyone. What's going on? This is Jason Jones of The Athletic bringing you the latest edition of the Ruler of the Court Podcast, where I rule this court, where we talk about the Kings, we talk about hip-hop, and quite honestly and frankly, whatever else I feel like talking about. But we're going to keep in a lot of basketball today. Uh, again, this is your first uh, episode since the trade deadline, and last week, last Thursday, I said by the time you listen to it, it might be a little outdated, so I'm sure some of you might have checked it out after the trade deadline. And yeah, at that point, the Kings had one new player, uh, DeLon Wright, 
since after the deadline, they ended up with three more new players. Uh, enter Mo Harkless and Chris Silva from Miami, who came to the Kings in exchange for Nemanja Bialica. Also enter Terrence Davis from Toronto. Uh, swingman who the Kings got in exchange for a second round pick. So, at the end of the day, you got uh, between the roster moves, you know, guys, the Kings cut, had, you know, to make room for people. You ended up with four new players. That's again, you know, DeLon Wright, Mo Harkless, Chris Silva, and Terrence Davis. Three of them, uh, uh, Silva was the only one who didn't play, uh, made their debut Saturday in the Kings. Very exciting, very interesting. 198 victory over the Cleveland Cavaliers, which featured uh, a crazy final 30 seconds or so. Uh, Kings take the lead. Uh, Rashawn Holmes gets called for a goaltend. 1.6 seconds to go. De'Aaron Fox on the baseline because the Kings are out of timeouts. Throws a basically... I would almost call it like a back shoulder fade to Harrison Barnes who catches it, turns, hits a three-pointer, game over, Kings win. So, Kings are on a four-game winning streak. They've won six of their last seven. Uh, Those Kings that go up and down, up and down this season are definitely on an upswing right now. So, what do you make of that? You know, we'll get into that. But first thing I want to do is, again, address. I'm going to start with the, the four new players and what that means to the team. Why I believe these were good moves for the Kings to make. And what it means for the possibility. Again, I'm not Mr. Uh, no, I'm not overly glass half full. You know me when it comes to this stuff. I'm, I believe it when I see it and. I'm not going to say the Kings and crap are going to be in the top 10 and make and make a run for the playoffs, but I'm going to talk about why I believe these additions can help that mission, that goal, that dream of getting to the postseason. So let's look at these four players. I'm going to go one by one in this case and <laughs> kind of give you my take on why. I like the moves and why I like what the Kings are doing, what, did with these moves. Let's start with DeLon Wright. You know, the Kings sent him, to, you know, got him from Detroit. You know, Corey Joseph goes to Detroit. And a couple of reasons why I like the DeLon Wright addition. One, it gives the Kings a playmaking guard off the bench with some size. And they didn't have that. You know, Corey, I like Corey Joseph. I like what he brought to the team and a lot of his intangibles. But... He was uh, the kind of of the rotation guards. He was the shortest of the bunch and of the group, the one who really wasn't that natural playmaking type guard. And I think for the Kings to do what they want to do offensively, they've got to have more guys like that. And DeLon Wright's a guy who's been a starting point guard. He's played off the ball. He can do multiple things in that regard. And he's going to help them defensively. And if you've watched the Kings play basketball this season, you know they need all the help they can get on the defensive end. So, I really believe that you can eventually see some sets where you can have DeLon, Tyrese Halliburton, and De'Aaron Fox out there together, giving you three guys who can 
uh, score or create for uh, the, the rest of the team, whether that be, you know, you have those three guys out there with Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes and try some different things. Or, you know, and I think the long, as I mentioned before, the long-term effect of DeLon Wright for the team could be cutting back on De'Aaron's minutes, which, you know, he's playing great right now. He's averaging like about 37 a game during this winning streak, but the four-game winning streak. But you don't want to have to play De'Aaron 38, 40, 41, 42 minutes every night. And next up, I'm going to touch on Mo Harkless. Uh... No swingman, no play either forward spot for you. And he wasn't in the rotation in Miami. He wasn't playing a lot, but he'll definitely play for the Kings because really the Kings only have one kind of big wing they've used this year, and that's Harrison Barnes. You know, you've had, you know, your you had your Glenn Robinson the third moment earlier in the year. You no, know, he's no longer on the team. You had your no brief, you know, Daquan Jeffries after he came back from his injury. You had some Justin James appearances, but the you know those are all those both those are both young guys who, if you're talking about winning, pressing forward, trying to get to the postseason, you do you know do you really want to have to kind of help those guys learn along the way if you're trying to get there? And so Mo was a guy who's a veteran. He's been on playoff teams. You know, he's been, you know, he went, had a deep playoff run when he was in Portland. You know, he was part of a good team with the Clippers before he got traded. No, so this is a guy who's been around winning, who the pressure of games in the final month or two of the season is not new to him. I think that's going to benefit the Kings having more guys like that. Because right now you look at their squad of their rotation guys that, that had been on the team. The only one with extensive playoff experience now that Corey's gone is Harrison Barnes. So having another guy with some good playoff experience, I believe, really helps this team. It will allow the Kings to go small and go small, but but, but also have some size. Because right now going small means Harrison at the four and a guard at the you know at the three, which is has been Buddy Healed. You know, but now you could go. You could you could hypothetically go Mo, Rashawn, Harrison up front, and now you've got some size, especially when you go against some bigger teams. And also, you can give Harrison a break in terms of his defense. No defensive responsibility, should I say, in those cases. Then you've got a uh, Terrence Davis. Um, um, like I said, uh, you know, can play the two or the three. A guy who the Kings thinks again will add some defense. Kind of th- similar thing with Mo and. Uh, the line. He could help with the defense, help with the depth, which the Kings sorely needed help at was, was with their depth. And you can take those, you can, you can take him and plug him in some minutes, help you in that area. The only, uh, it was, I don't know, if it, the only thing that came with, with the Davis acquisition was the question about he had a domestic violence uh, charges against him that's not completely gone away. The charges were dropped, but he has to complete certain things for those charges to all be dropped. And there's still with the possibility of league discipline at some point. But when Miney McNair talked at the press conference, he said the case is closed, you, you know, and that they're going to hold him to that, st- no, I guess a, a higher standard now, or not higher standard, should I say, the standard uh, that the team has for such situations. So I'm not a lawyer. 
the Kings, you know, Mine McNair says they did their due diligence and think it's going to be okay, but that was a break from the previous regime. I think Vlade's regime had gone out of its way to try to avoid signing or bringing in anyone who had had legal issues. The closest thing I can remember to that was Zach Randolph had a legal issue after he had been signed. It wasn't a thing, you know, it happened and then they signed him. You know, it happened after he had been signed. But he's a guy, you know, um, all rookie second team just a year ago. You know, he can he fits what the Kings want to do, adds depth. And again, depth, depth, depth is what this team needed, you know, perhaps more than anything. Because if you're going to, if you believe in your basically core group of young guys, you need players to support them. And I think Davis fits in and he'll help. And Silva... He's another guy, the guy from Miami who didn't, you know, get a lot of playing time, but he's a big, athletic. If he can get on the court, he, he figured he'll help with the defense and rim protection. But it might be a little hard for him to play right now because uh, Chemezi Metu, Kings two-way player, it has been back for uh, a couple of games now, and the energy he's brought in his return to the lineup has been, you know noticeable like he's really been fight you can tell he's really been energetic and ready to go uh good to see him back on the court given how he was injured against memphis and you know he had to miss some time with the uh broken bone in his wrist so those are your new kings and am i expecting you know i don't know uh some major like you know like rasheed wallace in 2004 impact from this group no but, but I am expecting that the depth will help this team. It'll help the guys on the team, you know, be fresher in games, not just in the no, near, no, the, not the near term, no, immediately. <laughs> and then in the long term, perhaps you're saving guys some wear and tear and some minutes over the course of the stretch run of the season. If the Kings hope to make a run to get to the top 10, and get a spot in that play-in game. And they might as well do that because the Warriors are scuffling. You know, they may get they'll get Steph Curry back eventually, but they're scuffling. The Kings will go ahead and might as well go for it. Because if De'Aaron Fox is playing the way he's playing, Tyrese Halliburton plays the way he plays, uh Rashawn stays on this this streak he's on right now of being a double double almost every night. The Kings may not be a top three, four team in the West, but they're not a bottom three, four team in the West, which means they're really not bad enough to completely tank unless you're going to sit the starting lineup. So you might as well go ahead and try to make the playoffs. That's that's my point of view. That's what I think they should be doing. And I think these moves symbolize or show that they're going to at least try to support the guys they have and get them into the postseason or try, try to get into the playing tournament. You know, that, to me, that's a realistic goal. The Kings are, I believe, 11th. They're 11th right now, depending on the day. You know, the 11th, 12th, depending on the day and what's going on. But a couple of games out of the out of the top 10, the hell, go for it. You know, there's no guarantee in the draft lottery. There's no guarantee just because you, you're in the lottery that you're going to get a franchise player. Hell, the Kings picked 12th, and they got a guy who's going to be in the top three rookie of the year. So, Go ahead and roll with it. Try to see can you turn this thing around by at least building 
some winning habits and start to establish a culture where it's not just about development, development. If we lose, we lose. We win, we win. It should be development and win, development. Let's try to keep building this thing. Let's try to win. That should be the King's mindset. And I believe that's what it's going to be. At least it is from the coaching staff. And I think these deals show that the front office is going to support that, which is all that I think any coaching staff and any team could ask for is that everyone's all in on trying to win games. And with the Kings, you know, playing better, these new guys, um, we're back on that. I call it the Kings roller coaster. Remember, the Kings started three and one. Then all of a sudden, they like lose nine of the next eleven or whatever it was. You know, so you know they go from three, three and one to what was it? Yeah, five and ten, and then they go on and they get to five hundred. You know, they win seven of eight and everyone's like, yay, yay, yay. You know, you know, they actually got a, you know, it was a game above 500. Take that back. Not just up to 500. They got a game of, they got a game above 500. Correct myself. They were 12 and 11. And it's like, yay, you know, everything's turning around and get a little stumbling. Boom, you lose nine in a row. Now we're back in the, you know, you know, the kid and they kind of go win loss, win loss for a second. But now they're ever since Marvin Bagley's injury and Tyrese Halliburton goes into the starting lineup, they're six and one, and they're they're just no, they're they went from you know hovering just above Houston and Minnesota in the standings to you no know, bumping up against the Golden States and the New Orleanses and if that's a word, New Orleans is you know Memphis. Bumping up against those teams are trying to get into that playing position. And the, the real test for this team, I believe, will not just be, it will be when they lose again, that next game. I mean, Luke Walton spoke on it after uh, Saturday's win, but I've always said about this team that when they're, when they're doing well, they're great. The test for them is always, how are you going to bounce back from a loss? Do you... Do you continue to play the way you played when you played well and just get back on track? Or do you just kind of stumble into the bunch of bad habits, bad defense, all those things that come with uh, losing? And the Kings have shown that, no, this not just you know, this season, but in previous seasons, when things go bad, they go really bad. So, you know, the next time the Kings lose, because, you know, I know you all are shocked to hear this, they're not going to win every game the rest of the season. You well, you got to see how, you know, the resiliency of the team. I mean, it's, they've shown resiliency all season in, you know, different situations. I mean, the Cleveland win on Saturday was about being resilient down, you know, you're, you're down and you with 1.6 seconds to go. You got to end the bite on the ball from the baseline and you go you hit Harrison for that three for the win. That was that was being mentally tough and resilient. But they're going to have to show that, say, they go to San Antonio today. You know, today's Monday. They go to San Antonio. Say they take a L. What you gonna do on Wednesday at the Spurs? You gonna let them beat your head in again? Or are you gonna bounce back? That's what you got to see from this team. That's part of the next step. If this team is to try to chip away and get into that top ten, and then you have a chance to play your way into the playoffs, which would be, you know, a first. You know, the first time since two thousand six. And if that doesn't happen, we all know what that means. That means you tie the record for the longest playoff drought. In NBA history. And who wants to do that? I don't think anybody does. Well, at least if, I, if you're the Kings, you don't. You know, I could be 
selfish and say, well, at least that happens. I know when my vacation starts or I know when the season's over, but uh, I've, I've had a lot of knowing when the season's going to be over. So let's see what the Kings do with that. And before I switch off to the music topic, we got to get into the big reason why the Kings are doing what they're doing. It's quite simple. It's you know not it's, you know there's multiple guys that it, that De, it's De'Aaron Fox leading the way. It's it's you know thir, you know I'm pretty I'm almost I wouldn't say I'm certain, but I'd be shocked if he didn't win his second uh, Western Conference Player of the Week award coming up. Kings went four and zero last week. De'Aaron averaged about thirty seven in those in the in the four wins. It was uh. You know, big in the fourth quarter again. He had 20 in the fourth quarter against the Cavs. Literally carried the Kings. You know, they was a, they were scuffling, and I think we're really seeing the emergence of De'Aaron. You know, over the course of the year, I'm not gonna put him in the All Star game and everything like everybody else was before me. They, I mean, I think he had a good week, and everyone's like, "Oh, there it is. He's an All Star." Come on, pump your brakes. Let's be easy. You know, but. He's putting himself up there in terms of your upper echelon players. And how do I know this? Uh, Saturday night after the game, you know, wrote my story, decided I would like to log on to um, 2K21, play a little online, you know, tournament or, or, you know, online game and trying to move my way up the ranks. And I decided, what the hell, let me play with the Kings. And De'Aaron had the the little star logo, the little star icon, you know. And I'm like, that's what they give the, the really, really good players. The really good players. You know, he's 86 on the game. Tyrese, I think Tyrese and Rashawn are both 82s. Harrison's an 80. I'm like, look, look at them giving the Kings some decent ratings. I mean, it, you know, I think Hassan's was the only player who had a 80 off the bench. But I'm like, oh, wow. But they gave, they gave Buddy a 77. I didn't go read into his rank. They must figure Buddy played zero defense and all he does is shoot threes, which... The cynics, as a lot of y'all will say, isn't too far off the truth, but I was surprised to see Buddy that low. I thought his, his three-point shooting would make him higher, but I guess he took it to account. Defense, ball handling, they might try to knock him down a few pegs, but hey. You know, I you know I just think it's it's, it's going to be fun to watch see how this Kings team figures things out along the way. I'll be looking forward to it. And yeah, so if you, if by the time you hear this and they've announced that De'Aaron Fox is the NBA player of the week for the Western Conference after leading the Kings to a 4-0 record and averaging 37 points in those four games. You heard it here first. Or maybe you didn't if you heard it after the announcement, but I'm calling it. Let's see what happens. Oh, big week for the Kings coming up. Or just to say a, 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 a big uh, trip. You know, down to San Antonio for two games. Uh, San Antonio is ahead of the Kings in the standings. Now, if they lose one or both games, it's not all over, but it would be a good sign of growth to see the Kings at least split these games because the kind of the trend of the Kings in the last couple of years, especially people forget 2018-19 and 2019-20, both seasons the Kings had a chance to make a push for the postseason after the All-Star break. Uh, in 2019, that team went nine and 16 in his last 25. Didn't play any defense, you know, bl- blowing 25 point leads. You know, faded away from the playoff race. Last year, the Kings made it to the bubble. They proceeded to get their asses kicked for about a week or so <laughs> and take themselves out of the playoffs. So, 
it's time to see if guys like Fox and Buddy Heald, uh, guys like that who have never been in that position in terms of the postseason. No, Tyrese clearly hasn't been through it either. If they learn from last, those you know some of those other guys that they've learned, you know, from the from that experience of the intensity that you got to bring at the, this time of year. If you're serious about getting to the playoffs, if you know, do you have the level of preparation, focus, intensity, tenacity, all those things you need to make the playoffs? So, I'll be looking to see. If the Kings at least get a split in San Antonio, to me, that would be a successful trip against a team that's ahead of you in the standings, a team that's been together longer, a team that has a former All-Star in DeMar DeRozan, who some people would argue probably could have been an All-Star this past year with the Spurs. Well, he was a regular All-Star participant when he was in Toronto. So, you know, you could argue that, you know, you know Toronto, uh, sorry, not Toronto. The Spurs have some good players, and of course they got some guy named Greg Popovich coaching over there, who I hear from I many people tell me he's a pretty good coach. So let's see what the Kings do with that. And what's up next? It's time to get into a little hip hop, and we're going to talk about a West Coast legend. I'm thinking I might just rename this part of the the, the podcast the old school hip hop thing. I mean, I touch on new stuff, but. This is really about stuff I grew up on, you know, the stuff us kids, you know, high school kids of the 90s were into. This is just really part of the show is about. And what we're going to hit on tonight is the late, great, uh, some people are going to call him the, the godfather of gangster rap, the man who started it all. We're going to talk about the one and only Easy e And why am I talking Easy e this week? Um, past week we uh, I don't I, I don't know if, if you the, the term is celebrate, but it was the anniversary, twenty six year anniversary of his passing, uh, due to complications from the AIDS virus. Back at uh, my junior year of high school, Easy E passed on March twenty sixth, nineteen ninety five. Yeah, like I said, my junior year of high school, and. For us, you know, hip hop people, Easy played a key role, especially for somebody like me, a Southern California native, born in LA. You know, if it wasn't for Easy, who's, uh, as we all know the story, his whose money from uh, his street money, you know, selling drugs, helped, you know, begin what became known as Ruthless Records. If it wasn't for Easy, my favorite rapper of all time, Ice Cube may have never become, you know, the icon that he became. Does Dr. Dre become arguably the greatest producer in hip-hop history without Eazy-E? Do we get, you know, it changed the key channel. He helped change the course of music. With uh, what they did with Ruthless and the albums they put out, you know, his solo album, Easy Does It, you know, the, the collab album, N.W.A. and the Posse, uh, Straight out of Compton, the... Uh, for some people, which was their introduction into what would become known as gangster rap, even though you had people like Ice-T and others before him and before N.W.A. And then, you know, and so you have all that branched from Easy. You know, you said you got Cube. And if there's no Cube, do we get Dub C? Do we get Mac-10? If there's no Dre, do we get Snoop? If there's no Dre, do we get 50 Cent? Do we get Eminem? You know, there's just so much that came from that ruthless tree. You know, we don't get, do we get Bone Thugs and Harmony without Easy E? 
So there's a lot to celebrate about Easy and with his impact on the music business. You know that you no, know, the independent label game. You know, so you know guys like Master P. You know those guys. You know can look at what Easy was doing. You know, you know does uh, Sick with It Records with E40. That that's independent stuff. You know. But you know, before they those guys blow up, you had Easy down in the, you know down in Compton making that thing happen. So I just want to begin by saying that, and just honoring this the impact Easy like I said had on the industry. He gave us so much. Not you know you know not just from, from what he did in, in the music thing, but just everything that spawned from Easy. And, and what he was able to accomplish. So what I want to do is, you know how I am, y'all. I like to uh, give you a history lesson. Not his, no, history lesson, homework, whatever you want to call it. And take you through some of my uh, favorite Easy e songs or Easy moments. And I'm actually going to go in reverse. I'm not going to do all of them. I'm going in reverse. And... And go back to his beef with Dre and Snoop, you know the whole Death Row thing. And it's crazy that everyone laughed at Easy the story about you know Suge beating him up and getting Dre out the contract. But when I look back now and I say, man, Easy was right. When Easy said we, you know, at Death Row we hear you getting treated like boot camp. Now I don't think we, you know, at the point you don't realize the stuff that Easy probably knows about what's going on in Death Row. But then you see the movies, you know, you saw Straight Outta Compton. You've heard the stories of how wild and crazy things were at Death Row. It's like, wow, Easy was right, and I don't think Easy gets enough credit in that regard. In that thinking, that whole beef, it was easy to make fun of Easy. Easy was short, you know. Had kind of that you new, know, that squeaky, unique voice. It's easy to make fun of Easy in that beat because you know. Then Dre dropped you know one of the greatest hip hop albums in all time in the Chronic, and it's like, what does Easy have? You know, he ain't got no N.W.A. broke up. You know, he didn't bounce back to you know the Bone Thugs thing, and then he dropped it. You know, his last album dropped after he passed, but you know, but Easy. No, Easy had you know Easy had his ear to the streets clearly because he knew what was going on over there, and you go back and listen to what stuff was like. Okay, you know, and then you hear you know he tells you he actually told you when he was live, you know, or he you know he said you know the same record that you're making is paying me, and if you're talking about beef, how that's a big one up in a beef if you say yeah you dissing me but that record you dissed me with that you made Dre Day but I'm getting paid off of Dre Day. That that's a that's a hell of a flex. That's some gangster shit for real. So when I talk about easy. I want to start there. It's kind of the 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 even with the street stuff. He still had that business acumen that he was able to put put to work to make that happen. And not going to keep you everyone too long. But I want to go to a couple of songs that that's uh, just jumped out to me for easy. Because I when I think of easy, I think of these songs. I think of one of them is, um, you know, uh, where, what is it? Uh, no, appet- you know, the, the uh, Appetite for Destruction, that one right there. Cause not, not just because, I mean, I loved his verse at the end. When you was a kid, I had no business liking all that stuff. As a kid, it was like, come on. You know, but hell, what the hell did I know? I was a kid. I thought this shit was hot. 
But you know, the appetite for destruction, you know, you know, his his verse the in the video was just so cool back then, you know, the whole nineteen twenty gangsters thing, you know. So whenever I think of uh of Easy, I always think of that song. Cause to me that that video was just so cool, you know. Number ten is my appetite to kill, you know, you know. And some of the songs, you know, as you look back, you'd be like, man, what the hell was a kid listening to this? You know, you know, talk about the the level of just you know pushing the envelope, misogyny, just talking bad, you know. But that was the times, and you know, it was I was with it. You know, as a young teenager, and I really had no business being with it, but I look at that last that last uh, album, and I say, yeah, you know, the album where they were, you know, where to get the the niggas for life thing golf, they have it backwards on the album, and people thought it was called Elif for Zagan, which you know, which is still to me hilarious that people didn't realize what what they were doing, but. Yeah, so when I look at that, that from that album, I always, I just love the, you know, that that video. Then we can get into a hundred miles and running. I always remember, <laughs> like I said, for me, it's the video too. It's the video of Easy running, you know, no, no, a hundred miles and you know, running, running, running. Yeah, you know, that was an EP too, but it was still. You know, and that was, you know, the first shot they took at Cube and they beef, you know. And that's what made that, like, you look back, like, man, that was the first shot. Because uh, Cube didn't even say nothing about N.W.A. on America's Most Wanted. You know, you know, but yeah, they, uh, on, they made sure on that EP that they took their shots at Cube. You know, so that will always be a... <laughs> uh, like I said, a memory of mine with Easy's because, like I said, to me the beef. You know, you look back now, guys get older. Obviously, eventually you get over the beefs and everything. But at the moment, it was like, wow, they took a shot at Ice Cube. What's gonna happen next? What's gonna happen next? So that was a, like I said, crazy, but you know, crazy time in hip hop. But hey, it was uh, something that you had to be there for. And I was young. But I was there. And before I get out of here, I want to take you to uh, Stray Outta Compton. You know, go back to that one. And we just kind of give you a couple of my favorite cuts off of Stray Outta Compton. You know, clearly my favorite rapper was it's Ice Cube. So I was going to be heavy on what Cube was doing. But let me go ahead and just give you a couple of things. Obviously, you know, fuck the police, you know. And Easy's voice in the background saying that, you know, you know, gangster, gangster. That's another one of my favorite ones, you know, when it comes to the, uh, when, it, when I think about Easy and Eight Ball, you know, that's always going to be another, uh, you know, a, a favorite of mine from Easy. You know, Ice Cube wrote a lot of his stuff back then too, so, you know, but yeah, that was, uh, that, you know, Dope Man. And what, 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 you know, I'll give you one, well, a couple of final ones. Obviously, you got to go boys in the hood. You know, woke up morning, you know, woke up about noon, you know, that whole thing. And yeah, that, that's, that's always going to be, you know, and then 
from Easy Does It. Yeah, there's the video you can check out. I'll, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give you easier said than done. And my favorite part it was, like I said, for me, the visual was the video of seeing them walk at the end of the video, and you see Cube turn around. The curl is hanging. The curl is probably dripping on the jacket. But they just like the hardest dudes in music to me at that point. So all of that came about all because of Eric Wright, Easy E, rest in peace, and wanted to. Definitely uh, salute easy this with this week's edition of the Ruler of the Court podcast brought to you by the Basketball Podcast Network. So I'm going to go ahead and get up out of here, y'all. I'll catch up with you later in the week. Uh, you know where to find me at theathletic.com. Uh, Mr. Underscore Jason Jones on Twitter. Mr. Jones LBC on Instagram. Hit me up. Look me up. Let's have some dialogue. Let's have some fun and see what happens with not just music, but with the Kings coming up. Y'all take care. Y'all be safe out there. I'm out.